Welcome to the Religion Unplugged podcast. I'm Melissa Harrison, Interim Executive Director of The Media Project, a global network of journalists that empowers journalists to provide a more profound understanding of the role of religion in public life through accurate, thorough, and intellectually honest reporting. Religion Unplugged is our award-winning nonprofit news website that covers the topic of religion in public life and in people's lives. Each week, we take a behind-the-scenes look at a topic being covered in the news to gather more insight and understanding on the stories being covered and the people who are covering them. Today, we have a very special podcast featuring our founder, Roberta Amundsen. Last year, Roberta led a group of artists, academics, and faith leaders on a 4,000-mile pilgrimage that covered more than 2,000 years of church art and architecture. Along the way, these pilgrims learned how artists, architects, and theologians worked in parallel for many centuries, from St. Augustine's vision of a new Jerusalem to Dante's admonitions about the Last Judgment. One of the final stops on the trip was London, where the group spent a morning at the National Gallery with Professor Ben Quash, who was the Chair of Christianity and the Arts at King's College London. He's also Director of the Visual Commentary on Scripture, a project he runs in collaboration with London's National Gallery. Afterwards, Roberta sat down for a conversation with Ben to talk about art, faith, and this extraordinary trip, which began at the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. The journey that I envisioned was to start in Jerusalem at the Ur place, um, to be as as Hamilton, as Lin Manuel Miranda says about um, you know Aaron Burry wanted to be in the room where it happened, the room where it happened. So we started at the room where it happened and saw how that got replicated um, all over, and we kind of followed chronologically. We went to Rome, we saw um, third and fourth century, and fifth century, and, and up to the 12th century. And so we saw a lot of domes along the way. We saw the Pantheon, mm. which was the dome was done for the gods to connect you. The dome connects you to the heavens. And my big question always from childhood was why? Why? Why does this happen? Why is this this way? And, and are there visual evidences uh, uh, left of Christianity? Did it leave a mark um, on the planet for good or for evil? And how does it fit together? So I had the idea that understanding that central thing that separates Christianity from all other religions is it makes the claim that God became a human being, fully God and fully man, that that fully God and fully man person died on a cross and bore the weight of all the guilt that every human being knows they bear. We, we feel it. We know when we do something wrong, we cringe, we either put up layers of defenses or, or we let it weigh us down. And that's why, you know, for paganism, it was good news. You were free. You could be free of this guilt and not have to keep making animal sacrifices or whatever. So the resurrection is central. And then, of course, I read Augustine, um, the city of God, who shaped the building of cities for a thousand years. And, and cities modeled themselves after being in New Jerusalem were members of a society here 
but we're also members of a society there. And that, and the New Jerusalem, we know what it's going to be like. And that model, the image and its specifics, inspire us to make this world more like that one. And so what I saw as I traveled were these replicas of the Holy Sepulchre all over the place, or a Holy Sepulchre this, or a Holy Sepulchre that. And, and then last judgments all over the place um, to say there's a reckoning. And then um, images of the New Jerusalem, I started finding them. And then understanding that when you go in church, the church was supposed to be an embassy of the New Jerusalem. So we haven't had any sleep or any rest, but we have been to the major um, sites and artworks and participated in these places. Some of them, and they're off the beaten track. It's not where you go in Rome. So we saw this Grovini Chapel, Michelangelo's Last Judgment, um, Torcello, um, the, Duomo, the, the Baptistry in Florence. And, and there's one in the Campo Santo. There's a Last Judgment in Pisa. I don't even know that. And we saw a Last Judgment window yesterday in St. Mary Magdalene Anglican Church here, which we were pretty tired by the time we got there, but there we were. I'm reminded of uh, William Temple, who was a 20th century Anglican theologian, who said Christianity is the most materialist, hmm. materialistic, he said, of all the religions. And I share this with my students, and of course they immediately think, oh, it's about shopping and yeah, right. consumerism. But of course what he means is that it's premised on the incarnation, it's premised on yeah. God's assuming of materiality. And so all of what you call the footprints that are left across the surface of the globe in architecture and you know, all these made objects are like an extension of that commitment of God to matter, to, to the very stuff of the earth, yeah. in order to transform it. And that's there, that's the empty tomb, that's yep. the resurrection, um, that's the, the raising of matter to possibilities that it could never have dreamt of, that, that were not there before, but are given to it as grace upon grace, you know, that drawing forward of creation out of its tomb, because everything's mortal, yeah. everything, the planet, the cosmos itself. Yeah. But that tomb represents the fact that that isn't the end, and that, that in, in this grace upon grace, there's, there's more promise than, than mortality. Um, and that's the journey that you've been describing, that you've been taking your group on, from the tomb through the resurrection to the, to the last judgment in which creation is put right, ultimately put right, yeah. put right in a way that it can never go wrong again. Yes. Yeah. That's, the, that's the great journey of, of world history. Yeah. Um, and there it is imprinted in all these buildings and what you've described in these fantastic buildings like the Sistine Chapel yeah. and in Jerusalem itself, in a sense is in, in miniature, every single place of worship is, one, is yeah. those places again. So some cities have aspired to be New Jerusalems, including yes. London, where we are now. Yeah. I mean, this is why, you know, in London, Temple Church, which you're going to see, yeah. You're going to end the tour with. So, you know, we have to reimagine what it was like to just be moving through London as a Londoner before they developed the embankment and buildings yes. obscured it. You would, on the main thoroughfare, which is on the water. Right. As you moved up and down, you would constantly feel the presence of the temple, the temple oh. church. You were being 
nudged mentally, imaginatively, all the time to, to, to remember Jerusalem. Then we saw in Rome, at Santa, Jer Santa Croce in Jerusalem, they brought the dirt. Yeah. They brought dirt there back in the fourth century, and there's this place, and yeah. now they put glass over it and bar people from leaving notes, which, which I think is terrible. The um, Pisan general brought back boatloads, that's what yeah. they say, boatloads of dirt. They had a whole campo, and that whole campo, all around it, people were buried yeah. because they wanted to be buried close to Jerusalem, yeah. close to the resurrection. And, and they brought Jerusalem The very there. soil of the Holy Land. Yes, yeah. and so you keep, yeah. Yeah, this is this holy materialism again. Isn't yes, it? it's, it's yeah, the dirt. matter. The dirt is holy. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, it's interesting that the, the hierarchy of the senses, yeah. which you get in Augustine, so sight and hearing are unique in the range of the senses because they're communal. And the reason that's important is because they, they are better, um, symbols or analogues of wisdom itself. Wisdom is fundamentally shared. So we, we, we touch wisdom, capital W wisdom, Christ himself as the true wisdom of God, when we see together and when we hear together. Oh, wow. And we've, that's what you've done, is you've gathered a group of people who've been seeing together yeah. for two weeks. And, that's, and they've seen the same things and they've yeah. grown in wisdom. Yeah. That's... I'll cry, but, I, <laughs> but they have. Uh, and that yeah. is, yeah, that is, I think, why Augustine's right about the power of vision. Um, it draws us well, to wisdom. The Scrovani Chapel was, while they loved the Sistine Chapel, they also loved the, some of the old churches and San Marco mm. um, oh, by yeah. night. Yes. And, uh, uh, Easter was, Vigil I once had in San Marco. Oh. And when the one candle started to make the mosaics and glow. And it just, you're in heaven. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to miss. Yeah. In the Scrovani Chapel, one of the reasons I love it, well, there's a lot of reasons. Like, it takes your breath away, there's that. But it's a praise. Mm. It is a praise. You see the angels rolling back mm. the sky, and in the Scrovani Chapel, up in the top, behind what they've got rolled up so far, you see the glittering golden city. And mm. they've, they got it. By then, there's the new Jerusalem. It's coming, yeah. and and Christ has broken, you know, eternity is broken back into time. Not that it isn't always connected. You know, for five years I was the chair of the board of the Museum of Biblical Art in New York City, which um, had the joy to do some great shows, and the raison d'etre of that museum um, was to maybe challenge is too strong a word, but offer a, a deeper way to understand the artworks, to understand them not only in their formal qualities, but in their social, historical, religious, and devotional meaning, to put the objects um, as they were created back into the context for which they were created. That's also what you have been working on. And the National Gallery in London is very much behind that project to understand these works of art in their meaning and context. Yeah. So, and that's what you've been working on yeah. ever since I've known you, Ben Guash. Yes. So, talk about that some. That, yes, you can look at these works and buildings as part of the story of art, and part of the story of architecture. 
and that's fine. Yeah, it's and part of the story. Well, the kind of main thing history of art does, but they are also part of the story of faith. And if you don't, if you're not interested in that story, you're only getting a part of the picture. Yeah. And um, you don't have to be a person of faith to think about how they're part of the story of faith. No, you don't. You just have to have enough of an imagination to, yeah. to think your way, feel your way into why these things mattered. These are living traditions. They're not yeah. just that there were Christians once upon a time and they made these things. There are Christians now. Yes. Um, and For, actually, yeah. many people, when they encounter the objects of which they now look after in galleries, often in museums, they still have religious responses to them. It's interesting that some of the, the big churches, whether in the States or here or elsewhere, right. that use screens and worship, they're still being visual. And actually, yep. in some ways, the, yeah. the traditions, the Christian traditions that rejected images at the Reformation <laughs> are now back in touch with them. Yes. And one of my theories about that is that those churches tend to be mission-driven. They're quite evangelical. Yes. They're often very much concerned with translating the gospel into all languages, you know, to reach all people. Right. And what they've, not all of them, but many have begun to realize is that visual images are a language. Yes. And they're one of the dominant languages of our yes. age. It's a Kairos moment in terms of the churches reconverging on images. Yeah. So the ones who've had them all the time, the Orthodox and the Catholics, are now able to sit alongside those who are rediscovering them after a long time. And this is a moment when they have a lot they can exchange with each other. I think it's an important time. For the Protestant church lost its visual liturgy, mm -hmm. literacy, and, and it, it lost the, the memories. Now, I think it has, it has been, had a crippling effect on the evangelical churches that lost that visual literacy. And, and now, they're, they're, they're trying to get it back, sometimes in, in bizarre ways. But as you said, they know, they know that they somehow need to have visual language back. Yeah. It's part of how God speaks. Yeah. Much more of this extraordinary pilgrimage is chronicled in the upcoming documentary, Heading Home, a 21st Century Pilgrimage. Thank you for listening to the Religion Unplugged podcast. All of our reporting is made possible and paid for directly by donors like you. Donations of any size are a great help in our efforts to expand the quality and breadth of our coverage from around the world, often by journalists based in undercovered regions such as Africa, Asia, and South America. Until December 31st, any contribution you make up to $1,000 will double as part of the Newsmatch campaign from the Institute of Nonprofit News. Consider how you can join us in our effort to increase religious literacy, whether it's a small donation, signing up for our weekly newsletter, following us on X, Instagram, and Facebook, or sharing our work on your social media channels. We look forward to partnering with you.